thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. I hope you kept your place in the book of Colossians because we're going to be looking specifically at verses 27, the last part, through 29, and then referring back to what we read earlier in part. Our church has a mission statement. We rarely consult it, but today I've asked that it be put on the screen, and I'd like to ask you, if you will, to read it aloud with me. The mission of Coronado Baptist Church is to glorify God by joining God's Spirit in loving all peoples, telling them the good news of God's salvation, and developing them into obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an intentionality, excuse me, I interrupted you, equipped to minister in His name. There's an intentionality in this particular description of what we see as our mission. It's not a perfect piece, but there is a progression that we are people who join the Holy Spirit and we love all peoples, not being discriminatory toward any person, but become agents of His love to others by telling them the good news of God's salvation, that's evangelizing, and then developing them into obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, equipped to minister in His name. And that is what we commonly call discipleship, but actually we would be better served. In turn, we'll make other disciples to the end of the age, to the end of the world. So let's look at the message that is ours. In verse 28, the Bible says, we proclaim Him. The word Him refers, obviously, to the person of Jesus Christ. And earlier in the first chapter, He has been introduced as the revealer of God. Look at verse 15. And He is the image of the invisible God. The word image is a word which means exact representation. He's not just a portrait. He is that, but He's more. When Jesus was asked by Philip, one of His apostles, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And I can see Jesus just sort of doing this with His head. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you, and you still do not know who I am? He who has seen Me has seen the Father. Jesus is the only person who can reveal God the Father to us. A man by the name of Carnegie Simpson said over a century ago, he said, Jesus is not one of the group of the world's great. All things came into being through Jesus, things visible as well as invisible. Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of this passage, in verse 15, says, He is the visible expression of the invisible God. Aren't you glad that God has revealed Himself to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ? 
We also read earlier that He is our Redeemer. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. That's a word we do not use a whole lot. But it is a very vital word when it comes to our understanding who Jesus is. Christ is our message. And we speak of Him as being the Creator and the Revealer of God. He didn't create God, but He's Creator of all things visible and invisible. And He is the Revealer of God. He's also the Redeemer. This word translated redemption was a word which was used to describe the freeing of prisoners of war by people of their own country. A price had to be paid. It was the price of redemption. Do you see why God's Spirit chose this term to describe what Christ has done for us? He redeemed us from sin. He set us free. He came for that express purpose. And He had to shed His blood on the cross to redeem us. When you know anything about the Old Testament system of sacrifice, you know sacrifices almost always had to do with the shedding of blood. Because as the Bible says in the book of Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And when the Scriptures in the New Testament talk about Jesus being one who redeems us by His blood, it's talking about His life. Jesus Christ laid down His life for you and for me so that we might know God and that we might in turn, having come to know Jesus and know God through Jesus, that we could be men and women who gladly seize the opportunity to be people who help others who are seeking something more in their lives, more than this world has to offer, more than they can ever know on their own, that we might introduce them to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Revealer, Redeemer, the one who set us free. But also He's the Reconciler. The Bible says in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, it says that God has such pure eyes, He cannot even look on sin. It does not mean that God is ignorant of your presence in the world before you come to know Jesus or mine. He knows we are here. He's omniscient. But what the idea is when he says, Habakkuk says, God has such pure eyes, He cannot even look on sin. It's that He cannot know us in intimacy. You were created in the image of God. And in that process, God, even though we are descendants of Adam and we have sinned, our sin has separated us from Him so that God cannot even communicate with us until something happens. And that something is that He takes the step to reconcile us to Himself. That's another facet of who the Lord is. He's our revealer. He's our redeemer. And He is also our reconciler. Let's read about His reconciliatory work in verse 19. Let's start there. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Ah, there's another indication 
that Jesus is the fullness of God. And then he goes on to say, and though through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, meaning we were his enemies, and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, preexisted before anything on earth existed. And then he volunteered to go down here to become one of us, to leave all the beauty of heaven and to leave a place where he was king. We saw earlier in this passage of scripture that he delivered us from the domain of darkness. That would be the domain of the devil, this world. He determined that he would come and be the deliverer from the domain of darkness. And what did he do? He transformed us and then transferred us to the kingdom of which he is king. He is ruler. In addition to being our revealer, our redeemer, our reconciler, he is the ruler. He's the king of the universe. And the Bible talks about this. In verse 15 it says, He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. This means He is the leader of all creation. doesn't mean that He came into being after He came to be a human. He was God before He came. But He is the leader of all creation, especially His church. Look at verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Isn't it good to know that our leader is in the church is Jesus? It's such a relief to me. I am appointed as a leader in this church body, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. I feel inadequate for the assignment, even though I've been in this position a long time. I've been a pastor of some church for over 45 years now, but I never have gotten to the place that I take it for granted. If it were not for the Lord, I would not be alive spiritually to begin with. That's most important. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said to his apostles. He said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, be the least of all. The servant is the one that will be the one who brings glory to me. Jesus himself said this about himself. He said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you understand this? That Jesus, God of very God, came on this earth, became one of us, and then he came and he came to set the captives free. He came to serve us and his highest service in his incarnation was to give his life to be a ransom for our sin. The Bible says something remarkable, remarkable about Jesus in this regard. 
It says, God the Father, listen carefully, made Jesus Christ the Son to become sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He reconciled us. We were separated by a vast gulf of sin so that God couldn't see us in the sense of having a relationship with us. But God the Father and God the Son collaborated so that you and I could be in His church, the body of Christ. And we could have Him as our head, our leader. When I think about the brain, Paul was not talking about the brain per se. He was talking about that part of us where we receive direction and leadership. And who is our leader? He is the head. He's the head. He's the brains of the operation. And he's the one who gives us direction. He leaves us not in the dark. He's transferred us, remember, from the domain of darkness into his kingdom of light. And he communicates to us, the Holy Spirit of God communicates to us through the word of God. Our message is Christ. We have no other message. It's such a simple message, isn't it? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And He was raised again on the third day. Not complex. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Scripture says. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture says. The Scripture also says that, but as many as received Him, trusted Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name. The Scripture also says about the work of Christ, the most marvelous work that's ever been done by any person or will be done. It says, if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, ruler. So God has raised Him from the dead. We shall be saved. God is a wonderful God, isn't He? And is the one who has made it possible. And it's He who is our message. We have no other message, powerful message known to mankind. Jesus is our message. It is proclaiming Jesus, though, in fulfilling our mission, is, is proclaiming Him. Look again at verse 28. This would better be translated, and we are continuing to proclaim Him. Paul was evidently tempted when he went from place to place, planting churches, being used, founder, if you will, of churches. But he never had any message except Christ. I came to you, to the Corinthians, I came to you in fear and trembling. And I determined I would know except Christ crucified, Christ dying for us. Jesus is the centerpiece. Like Paul, are called to proclaim that message. It's a wonderful message. Look at the, this proclamation admonishing every man. Let's stop there just a moment. The word admonishing is a word that I never use unless it's reading the Bible, pretty much. 
It means to confront someone with truth that the person needs to hear in order to be in a right relationship with the Lord. Admonishing every man. Many scholars, and I agree with them, when they seek to make the best application of this word admonishing every man, they say this has to do with presenting the gospel to people. The gospel is offensive. Jesus said, it's going to be offensive. It's a stumbling block. And we know people don't like to come face to face with the reality that they can't do things to save themselves. And that the Bible says that every man is separated, every woman, every boy and girl, by the fact that they have a nature that is sinful. And all the good works they do, all the religious things they do, are not capable of making them right with God. There is an element of bad news in the good news. You've got to admit that you're a sinner and you need the Lord. Once you cross that hurdle, the rest is much more simple. And, but you have to see that. And we admonish every man. And that admonishment will be used later too because we want to help people to grow just like a good parent raising a child when there's misunderstanding, what does the parent do? The parent corrects the misunderstanding. And this is what Christ does for us and what we're to do for other people when we help them to come to know Christ. Our message clearly is Christ. No other message. Our method is admonishing and teaching. Unless I forget it, notice the repeating of every man, every man. But there's one more of those every men, every man kind of things that we may present every man complete in Christ. So this is our mission. It's to produce mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not babies. Everybody who becomes a follower of Christ, in fact, Paul uses this terminology in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, we begin as babies in Christ. There's nothing irregular about that. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul, writing to Corinthians probably a couple of years after they had begun to follow Christ, they had made very little progress. Their behavior was unlike Christ. Producing others as well. This little phrase, every man, really has caught my attention. Every person. Let's just insert the word person. Every person admonish. Every person teach with all wisdom. Every person is to be presented complete to Jesus. Every man, every woman, right down the line. Anyone who comes to faith through this church, we have not simply an opportunity. We have an obligation. We would no more, should at least, no more just let a person, Blanca came to confess and profess Christ today. It would be a crime against her if we didn't help her to grow in the Lord. 
Not because we're better, but because the Lord has taught us. It'd be true of everybody who comes to Jesus. We want to disciple them, follow them up, don't we? Yes, certainly we do. But this every man phrase really speaks to my heart. And it speaks to my heart in this way. Every person counts. Every person counts. Isn't that wonderful to think about? A man by the name of Oswald Chambers, some of you are familiar with him, his book, My Utmost for His Highest. He was a missionary to Egypt. He died before he turned 40. Listen to what he says in this regard. If I view anything as inevitable about any human being, I am an unbeliever. Get the drift? We cannot limit what a person's potential is by judging the cover. What we're to do is be like a parent to that person. Help her, help him to grow in Christ. That's what the Lord wants us to do in ministering to people. And also, we are to be this kind of reproducing believer. We have to love people at all times. The Bible says about friendship in Proverbs 17, 17, says that a friend loves at all times. That's who we are in Christ. We have a friend like that. Who is he? Jesus, right? And so what we can do and are called to do is trust Christ to empower us to love others like He loves us. I read about a man. I'm supposing the story is true. It was written to be true. He was an artist. He lived in Paris. And he made his living with the lion's share of the income taking place on weekends. He would go to various parks in Paris. He was an artist. He would take his kit with him and he would put his easel down and he would advertise, if you would like a portrait done, I would be glad to do it for a certain charge. This particular Saturday was a slow Saturday and no one asked for his services. So as to maybe give a little advertisement of what his work looked like, he sat down and he looked at a man who was asleep on the bench and he started painting this man. And as he painted, this man was a man who was hung over, it looked like. He was very shabbily dressed. He was disheveled in his appearance and he was out cold. And then after a while, before the man had finished the portrait, the man began to wake up. And he saw this man painting, and it seemed like the man was looking his way, as he actually was. And the man got up, and he went over, and he looked at that, and he said, Wow, that's, that's quite elegant artwork. The man was articulate. He, he didn't come across as he appeared he might. And then he said, Who is that whom you have painted? There was a man in a three-piece suit nicely kept, groomed. He said, it's you. And the man was stunned. He said, me? Look at me. He said, it's you. It's the way I see you. And so the story goes, 
That was a turning point in that man who was bewitched by alcohol. And it turned him, and he said to this man who had done the portrait, and the man gave the portrait to this man. And he said to him, as he was leaving with the portrait in hand, he spoke to the artist and he say, said, is this the way you see me? Then this is the way I will be. The rest of the story is that that man did actually find sobriety. I'm not sure he became a follower in Christ, but he was changed. Why? Because someone saw in him what he could be. And that's what we are to do when we join the Lord in this matter of helping people come to know Christ and to grow in Christ for the glory of God. Our means, this is going to be dealt with very quickly, but it's critically important. Look at the last line of verse 27. How do we complete this mission? We know we have the message of Christ, Christ and Christ alone. And also we know we have the responsibility to tell about His redemption. That's our message. And talk about His reconciliation of Himself to us, His taking the initiative. But the Bible says here in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one who does it. Listen carefully. I hope I haven't lost your attention. It's possible that I have. So tune back in for just a moment. How can I and you be part of a church which is ministering to people in this way that helps people come to know Jesus and is not satisfied to stop at that, but helps people to grow in Jesus so they too can be used as part of our church to do the same thing. Look at verse 29. And for this purpose, what purpose is that? The purpose of proclaiming the gospel. Also, I labor. That is a word that speaks of strenuous labor, sweaty work. This work is not something that is without challenge in terms of our input. Striving according to His power. The word striving is the word, listen to it, agonizomai. It's the word of the arena. Athletic arena. It's the idea of Agony is part of it. It's hard work. And it's something that brings some pain, some heartache, some confusion at times. Hanging in there with people, just like raising a child. And sometimes the child is unresponsive to your leadership as a parent, which mightily works within me. Who is at work in you? Well, look at Philippians 2.12. It's right before this, and we'll close with this verse. Philippians 2.12 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like I'm responsible for working it out. But look what it goes on to say. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How does God live in us? By His Spirit, by Jesus Christ, and He wants to work His work through us. Mystery of mysteries, but how glorious it is. Christ in us, the hope of glory, that He would use you and me. I hope you want to be that kind 
a follower of Jesus, not just someone who is a nominal follower, but one who sees that God has set you apart to be used by Him to help others to know and grow in Him. Bow your head just a moment. I don't want to be presumptuous, but if Christ has spoken to you today, saying to you, I love you, I hope you know that. I loved you enough to redeem you by dying for your sin and then to reconcile you to the Father and then to give you a role in my kingdom to help in this very important mission of helping people to come to Christ. And you have sensed the Lord's calling you in your heart to say, Lord, just bow your head, Lord, I don't know about how well I'll do, but I want to trust you to use me because you live in me to honor you and use me to help others to come to know you and be saved, born again, but also to grow in you so that they can reproduce spiritual offspring also. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.